Well, you can say hi if you want to. Hi, this is Howdy. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, this is Greg Lamont. Welcome to the Velocast. Nice, really nice, yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast. This week, we complete our discussion on the 2019 season in the company once again of Derek Troy from the Flamcast. And with so much to cover from the Tour de France onwards, please be aware that this is another long, long show. So feel free to listen in as many bite-sized chunks as your busy life demands. Good evening, folks. So it's part two of our yearly wrap-up. The other two um, wheels on my tricycle are here again, John and Scott. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey. Buenas tardes, amigos. Buenas noches, buenas noches. So we left the last uh, podcast just coming up to the Grand Tour of the Tour of France. Um, So we're going to kick on from there. We're probably going to look at the Tour Vuelta, uh, post-season races, Lombardy, maybe a bit of Quebec, some of the Italian races, the um, World Championships. And then we're going to take a couple of user user questions that were sent in on Twitter. And then we're going to go for our uh, race of the year, our Grand Tour of the year our rider of the year, uh, ride of the year, and team of the year. And John is going to answer all five with the one one answer. I'm, fair, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to give it as my grand tour answer as well, actually. Uh, yeah. Um, so, lads, what, do, what did you think of the, the Tour of France this year? I thought it was probably one of the best Tour of France's that we've had in the last decade, 15 years. But... It has a question over it because it lacked a finish. I think that's exactly right. I mean, every day when we were doing the daily shows, um, I was expecting to get bored because at that point in the season, the riders are actually, once they settle past that nervous first week, they're usually riding more or less to control the race. But it was absolutely nuts this year and was fantastic every single day to talk about right up until that stage 19 where... You know, through no fault of the organisers and no fault of the riders. You know, it's the middle of the year. You can't be expecting the kind of mad weather that we've seen in the, the Giro in recent years. We had torrential rain, which made small lakes actually in the road. We had landslides that's you know, completely blocked the road. And they made the perfectly reasonable decision to neutralise that stage. And that actually left not a kind of bitter taste in my mouth because it was nobody's fault. It left a kind of... It was just kind of unfulfilled. You know, it was like a date that you thought was going somewhere and you ended up having a burger and going home and watching the telly. Well, I'm going to jump in right away in case that analogy goes any further and and frightens some some listeners. Just before we go any further, Scott, has John just denied climate change in that whole rant there as well? I think he might have, yeah. I, I, I think he might have. I mean, because he's saying, you know, you don't expect that in the middle of the year. I think we should expect it from here on in. Yeah, I think we probably should. And and that's, I mean, that's a different issue entirely. But I think if if you look at previous years, I don't think you can blame them for, you know, not organising alternative routes and that kind of thing. Even if they were available, which they often aren't on these stages in the mountains. It was just one of those things. But it did leave a, a very unsatisfying end to what had been, as you say, Derek, an absolutely fabulous tour up to that point. I mean, I I, I totally agree with, with what you're saying, guys. I, I think given how bonkers is the word that's leaping to mind for this year's Tour de France, how bonkers it had been up until that point. It could really only have ended that way. And I I do accept that Egan Bernal's 
taking of the jersey on that particular stage and then keeping it for, for the next two days in, into Paris did leave a wee bit of a I put a bit of a dampener on it. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a, a sour taste. But given, as I say, how crazy everything had been up until that point, it kind of needed a crazy finish. The only thing that I think really scuppered the whole thing, rather than the the uh, calamitous weather conditions that we saw on stage 19, was this perennial thing with, with the tourists that, Unlike the Vuelta and the Giro, which are increasingly coming to towards keeping the competition going as far as possible with a, a final day's actual racing, you always know that the tour is going to end with this damp squib. And if we had two actual days racing left, that curtailing of stage 19 could have had some some further twist in the tail with, as I say, another couple of days proper racing um, left left to go. But given it was it was a, a, an easier day the, the next day and then the complete nullification of, of any kind of racing, as soon as we got to that curtailed stage 19 outcome, everybody knew game was a bogey then. Yeah. Egan Bernal has essentially won the tour. It, that massive come down hit you straight away. Can I get in there just for a second? I suppose before John gets off on a rant, because I know you actually despise that final stage yep. um, because it's just, it does nothing for you. And I, I suppose from my point of view, I absolutely love seeing the finish on the Champs. And I think it's, for me, it's the Sprinters World Championships. And, you know, I have so many memories of so many different people winning on, on the Champs. And I think it's a it's a fantastic way to finish a, a Grand Tour. But I do take your point that it, it does nullify or stupefy the, the competition. And it does, it, they're, they are robbing themselves of a, a final day. And I know they like to do the pomp and the ceremony. And it's quite easy then to finish off the the tour and have the stage correct and all that sort of stuff. And it's very, very, it's all very easy for ASO and it's all very kind of manufactured and all very well produced. But I do think that there is an opportunity there maybe to rotate it out um, or have a double stage day, uh, time a time trial in the morning, um, you know, and then the, the, the crit finish or something. You know, you could easily do away with the, is it 50 or 60 or 70 or 80K that they have to ride in? Nothing further than that, and I think you've actually hit the nail on the head, because I never used to mind it when you had the old 20 minutes of highlight coverage. I think it's a stage that is specifically unsuited to this, you know, soup to nuts stuff that we get now, where, you know, they just watch any stage for as long as they possibly can. And there are some stages where you really enjoy that, you know, you enjoy... At Paris-Roubaix, watching the break try to be forced before the cobbles start, you know. In a grand tour, you enjoy the big mountain stages or even the medium mountain stages because there's interesting racing going on. But having four hours of folk drinking champagne or beer and watching, you know, it, nothing happening just means that by the time you've got that fantastic action in the Champs-Élysées, and I love that thing where they go down through the tunnel in front of the Louvre and then come onto the Rue Rivoli and then the Place de la Concorde and then onto the Champs-Élysées, it's one of the classic lead-outs in... 
actually in cycling sport in general and as you say it's almost a world championship but I'm just so fucking bored by the time they get there so the coverage is to blame as much as the event itself Yeah but I mean to, to Derek's point and also the suggestion of, of having two separate stages one for the sprinters and one for the general classification it is exactly in that idea you find where the, the, the problem is being thrown into sharp relief. The sprinters get their day, and of course they always will on the Champs-Élysées. It's the fact that the GC guys don't treat it as a proper stage. For the sprinters, it's, it is the world championship, as Derek says. But for the GC guys, it's a day off. It's a day of drinking champagne. And and you talked there, Derek, about how that you have so many memories of, of guys who've won on, on the Champs-Élysées. A memory not specifically of me watching cycling but just in studying the sport that I think should be writ large in everybody's head is Bernardino winning what, what 70, sponged in his jersey the, in 79 I think that, that that was and it harks back to to a time when right okay Eno was was a, a class and 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 himself, of himself and is the type of rider who was able to challenge and and, and sprints like that but it goes to, as I say, a time when the GC guys were still fighting on the Champs-Élysées, if not for the win, but for for time, for, for the actual race itself. And, and I do think the Tour needs to try and do something, whether it's in Derek's idea of a stage A, stage B type affair, both very, very short, or, or indeed try and encourage the GC guys to, to take the day seriously because... Year after year after year, John's right, especially now when, when coverage is soup to nuts. ASO need to do something to, to address that. They're still assuming that there's a 30-minute highlights package to be made out of what is a very, very dull day for for the most part. And the other thing that we, we, we've kind of glossed over as well is the most exciting finish to any Grand Tour in history was Fignon Le Monde, and it was the final day t- TT and reverse of fortunes and all that sort of stuff in the narrowest uh, Grand Tour win. And they've almost never gone back to that just in case that ever happens again. And it, it, I, to your point, like I said, I think the, the the end stage should be rotated out, something like similar to a Grand Depart, that the, the final stage should be rotated around either Mountain, TT, uh, Sprint stage. You know, you can... You can even team time trial, you know, you can, they can experiment with it. Like there's nothing, they, they do experiment with so much of the route and they do experiment with short stages and, you know, even that gridded stage, that was a, a complete balls up. And um, they've experimented with all sorts of different other stuff during the tour. I'm not sure why they don't mix it up with the, with the final stage. Um, and I suppose mm. just to rewind from that, I suppose I, I, it's, it was one of those tours that you, it, it's. I remember John that we we talked about Roubaix or Flanders a few years ago, and we gave fifteen minutes talking about uh, doing an intro on on it and discussing the race, and we actually never discussed or even mentioned who won the race. And mm-hmm. if you look, if you look back at this tour, you know, uh, Pino losing time, gaining time, uh, then you know losing crack cracking and you know hurting his knee Alaphilippe there's so much that went into this tour you could spend half an hour 45 minutes just discussing it and still 14 never... days in yellow for Alaphilippe yeah 
and still never mention what actually happened and how 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 it was won. So I do think it, they do they they almost have the right recipe for for success. I think they just need to change the flavor slightly on a few little bits and pieces, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for next year. Definitely. I mean, can you imagine if we had of had stage nineteen truncated as as it was to call the Lisseron, and then still have the the mouth watering prospect of the time trial around the Champs Elysees in Paris to to come, yeah, it would have been phenomenal this year. And you, uh, this is coming from me, who is notably not a fan of of the individual time trial. I tell you what struck me actually. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm getting old. I'd almost completely forgotten the race when uh, we sat down to talk about it. So when I was doing, you know, my, my looking through my notes thing, if you look at the winners of every single individual stage, the only one that's even vaguely a surprise is Mike Tennyson, and he kind of mm. got uppity and thought that he was, you know, thought he was the team leader afterwards for a wee while. But there's Ala Philippe, there's Sagan. The Viviani, Dylan Toons, that magnificent win to Ponce de Belfi, Dylan Grunewagen, Daryl Impey, Wout Van Aert. I mean, what a fantastic victory that was. Philippe in that time trial, him stomping up that final hill is one of the highlights of the year for me. Caleb Ewan, Trenton, even Nairo Quintana and Vincenzo Nibali, for God's sake. You know, I mean, it was an absolute creme de la creme of winners at the stages, which I think is indicative of the quality of the tour it was, much though we might moan about that final day and the weather. It was magnificent entertainment day after day. It was, and I think the one thing that the tour does always get every year is just what you alluded to, John. It gets the highest quality riders. It mm. gets the it gets the best climbers, it gets the best Grand Tour contenders, and it gets the best sprinters. Um, and, you know, some might be off form, some mightn't win, some mightn't, but you always have a high-quality class of riders. And if you, the Vuelta suffers a bit from that, you know, it doesn't get the, it mightn't get the sprinters. And it, by the time that the Vuelta comes around, you kind of have maybe climbers that have done one or two Grand Tours by that stage and they're kind of, uh, you know, not not really. And the the Giro suffers as well, I think, with the sprinters. But, you know, the jersey kind of swaps, swaps shoulders quite a bit and it has almost gone to a Grand Tour contender previously. So it's not, it doesn't really have the prestige of the jersey of the the Tour. So I think the Tour does get those, the best of class uh, most all every every year and mm. you know when you see stuff like that you know you, you see the stage winners from this year it it has been one of the, the ones for the ages just uh looking at the stage wins that you were talking about there john and and essentially also on on the the theme of things you've forgotten caleb ewan being the to use that hateful american word winningest rider of see yourself, of, see yourself out please i know i'm sorry right. taxi for a row um yeah fuck he, off he, and when you get there fuck <laughs> off some more you're very sweaty this evening with some oh, I've, I've had one of those days i really have and it's derek's being here it just starts me swearing it's the <laughs> okay. irish connection beep them out if you like okay um no i was just going to say that you know, if you were to immediately think back to to the tour this year caleb ewan being the most successful sprinter isn't mm. immediately what leaps to mind no, no or simon yates won in two stages two mountain stages i'd forgotten about that as well you know i i, I I think that's indicative of the, just the quality of the whole thing. Is that 
there were some stand. Well, there was one standout performance, wasn't there? Which was Julian Alaphilippe, who day after day confounded us. But the quality of the other riders was so high that those performances that maybe in a normal year we would have been talking about Caleb Ewan or Simon Yates in hushed tones were just part of it. You know, it was just part of the game this year. Yeah, it's um. I, I do think I'm kind of shocked at Scott using that term, but yeah, and Caleb has come has come away with the most wins this season as well. Um, I saw a ranking there where uh, Viviani, I think, uh, I can't remember who was next, and then uh, Blockhead from Bora, and then Sam. Um, so yeah, it's been a it's been a good year for sprinters, even though the Grand Tours really haven't suited them mm. that much. You know that you know there's quite a few of them climbed off in the Giro, and the the Vuelta really mixed it up this year. So it's been a it's been a, a year where the, the the younger riders have taken over the sprinting. I know Cav is back next year, but I can't see him winning anything next year. Um, yeah. Same with Groipel been back at the top level. I can't see him winning anything next year either I think the, the the there's no change of the guard the guard has changed now to the younger sprinters yeah totally so beyond the the Tour de France then what what's next up are we going to the Vuelta or or any of the other races in between um I suppose let's go let's go into the Vuelta but since we're in Grand Tour season and we're kind of in that mind um I suppose the main takeaway from this one was that um Yumbo managed to manage this correctly and didn't piss themselves this time. Oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Addy. Um, but yeah, the, it was the reverse of the Giro. Uh, Primoz seemed to be a little bit undercooked at the start and they he grew into form. And as they went along, um, you know, they were, they were mopping up stages later on in the race and stuff like that. And they, they just seemed to have that completely wrapped up. Uh, and it was the first time that they actually performed as they should, as a team, and just really wrapped it up. Like, I love the Vuelta this year. I thought it was superb. I mean, cast our minds back to the team time trial on the first day and the chaos that, that ensued through mm. through slippy roads and, and all sorts. I think that was really a, a big marker to say this tour is going to be absolutely insane more so than as usual for even the already loopy Vuelta you only need to look at stage two Benidorm to, uh, Benidorm to Calpe one by Nairo Quintana yeah I mean solo where, exactly. Yeah. When does that ever happen Nairo Quintana I mean I'm sure we joked during our daily coverage John that Nairo actually thought he was compete, still competing in the Tour and, and you know, this was him peaking for that, that elusive fourth week in, in the Tour de France. But, um, yeah, it was it was highlights day after day were, were you know, numerous. I, I just remember being so happy at, at the winners each day. There was some stunning solo performances from Angel Madrazo, uh, Jesus Harada, um, Tajes Pojicar was was the rider of that 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 Vuelta for me. I thought he was just superb. Yeah, I, I mean, I think my favourite moment was. Was it stage 17 or stage 12 where Philip Gilbert won? And it was like the Ardennes, except the fans all had uh, Basque accents. 12. It was just, yeah, it was 12. It was the first one. It was absolutely magnificent. But I'm, I'm with you, Scott. For me, the rider of the Vuelta was Tadej Pojokar. 
it was a young man's race. You know, you had Primoz Roglic learning from the mistakes that he made in the, the run-up to the Giro. He'd had enough of a recovery period to drop down in form and then build again. Um, and he was stunning. Valverde in second place, I thought, did a great ride as well. You know, for for an old guy like him to hang on and be there at the death of so many of those pivotal stages was really impressive. But Pozzucar showed himself as a future winner of any Grand Tour that he sets his mind to. He was absolutely magnificent. And for UAE to have a rider of his stature actually made their season. You know, I saw on, uh, on Twitter today, um, somebody said that uh, Fabio Aru had blocked them for asking if he was going to be in good enough form to be a decent domestique for Pozzucar next year. Ouch. Uh, which, which is a bit burny, but it's not that far for the truth because that young guy's a talent that is just going to explode in the next couple of years. I think he is, and I suppose even if you just look at the the stage winners from that uh, Vuelta, Jakobsen, Kos, Higita, Pogacar, all young guys, and it's, it really is, um, they're showing potential for the future. Um, and showing development I think Pogacar just needs to be looked after needs to be minded um, I don't think they need to start throwing him in as a Grand Tour contender leave him win stages, leave him follow you know, your Froome, your Bernal and see what he can I do I think he, even if he does that he might suddenly pop out and win one of the bloody things anyway Yeah, and I, I think he, he probably could um, but I just think he just needs to develop naturally Christ, it sounds that sounds very strange, but you know, you know what I mean. He just—I don't think they need to push him towards anything. I think just let him develop and keep learning his trade and everything else. Um, and it, you know, look, uh, it was a fantastic tour from an Irish or, or from or Velta from an Irish point of view. Nico in, in red for a couple of days. Sam two stages, two wins, two yeah. wins probably should have had the stage finish into Madrid. Uh, got. Badly boxed there. Should have had stage seventeen against Gilbert. Should have had stage nineteen uh, against Cavana. He stayed away. You know well, what he, was the one he took the the wrong line round that roundabout with a K to go and and lost in you know just a, an astonishing number of places st- and stage four. I think it yeah. was. Yeah, I remember yeah. it being quite early on and us saying, you know, he's going to come good. We we can see he's definitely in form, but that was. It was a bit of a, a a punter's error that one, just taking that, that yeah, wrong line. Yeah, it was. It was the first time he he got bet in a bike throw. Uh, normally, when he's when he it's the when he's sprinting like that, and it comes to the finish, and if he throws the bike, he normally wins. That's the first time he's lost in a bike throw. So that's two stage wins and four possible other stage wins where he was damn close or second. And if he came away with six stages, like you know, it would have been unbelievable for him. And he's had probably the, the season of his life so far this year. I tell you what, though, I mean, what it shows is his strength of character. Because yeah. what we know in retrospect is all the crap that was going on with, you know, Bora Hansgrohe and De Kooning Quick Step and Patrick Lefebvre saying he doesn't do cattle deals and Sam, you know, being bumped for stuff that had been agreed by Bora Hansgrohe. You know, his, his brain must have been absolute mince with all of those negotiations, crap going on at the team, all of that kind of stuff. And he's still strong enough in the head to pull away two really good wins against some cracking sprinters. You know, there was some quality talent there against him. So I think, I think although it was a difficult one and he should have won more stages maybe, I think it shows the strength of his mind that he came away with too. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree there. And I think, um, I, I, we'll, we'll touch on it later on. Um, I think his stage 17 ride, um, is it stage 17 where 
the 50 lads clipped away in the crosswinds and they weren't mm. seen for the day. Like he was literally the only borer rider there and he had seven quick step against him. And um, still nearly got it. Yeah. Yeah. And still, you know, literally did not have a man with him all day and looked after himself all day. And they were, they were not slacking off in that, that stage. Uh, and he still did so, so well. I suppose to to move away from from yeah. sprinters, what, what do you and you just kind of mentioned Sam Bennett against the the mass ranks of of De Koenig there? What do you make of of the way the competing teams played there, De Vuelta? Uh, for overall or for um... I think just in, in in general, if if we want to just maybe kind of look at how the the teams either could have contributed to to getting their, their guy as high up as possibly they could in, in one instance, of course, and in, in winning the overall versus teams that, that perhaps contrived to make an absolute arse of things. Yeah, I think Yumbo for the first time in a long time, rode properly, uh, rode as a team, um, used on the mountain stages, used the staging point of the early breakaway. Um, uh, you can see that even when Sepp Kuss won. Um, they they rode very very well. Astana just I don't know what's going on with Lopez. He just looks like a, a Nairo Mark II. Just looks as if he's going to win the white jersey forevermore and probably be around the top couple of steps and just did not look anywhere near Grand Tour contending. And I then think we've overrated Lopez. Quite possibly, he could become um, yeah, he could become an Andy Schleck or something like that. And I think then to your point, Scott. Movie star, I have no idea what the f- they were up to for the whole of the Vuelta. I have no, I have no clue. I have I'm no glad you you spotted where I was going with that because I was just in, in mind there of I, I believe on Twitter they were poo pooing the idea that the team classification meant anything to them and oh how we all laughed because of course they they ended up taking the the team classification and I, I it kind of felt that. That was really what they were looking for. Was the the advertising opportunities that the movie star will get from um, that that team photo on on the podium at the end of the race and and Spanish uh, shops and and wherever else they they, they want to put that picture. But as oh. to to the individual, it, they seem to kind of cock it up yet again. I've got a vague memory of the Daily Shows of you saying to me just about every day when there was a kind of medium mountain or a mountain stage, have you got any idea what movie star were doing? <laughs> and great. I would come up with some convoluted, incredibly complex thing and then say, but I'm being kind, really. I, I've got no idea whatsoever. <laughs> no, and... Uh, what comes I, movie star? Yeah, I, I do think it's probably hit him in more ways than one at the end of the season. Endurer are gone. Uh, Campag are gone. Is there talks Canyon has gone as well? I don't I know. I mean, I've, I've, the only thing I've been following with bikes is I've been talking to a lot of people about how poor the Factor logo is because uh, they're going to uh, Israel Academy. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they're, they're still lots shooting about, um, along with some very interesting transfers as well. But I think we'll have to wait for the dust to settle before we find out who's what riding what next year. Yeah, I mean, so just just to what you were saying there, Derek, and I was going to ask both of you whether you think clearing the decks of 
of a lot of riders and maybe coming with the sole focus of developing Enric Mass will be good for them? Um, or are they still going to be expecting Alejandro Valverde to, to, to finish high up in GC forever and a day? John, I'll give you that first. I honestly have no idea because I didn't understand a thing they were doing this year. Um, you know, we had all of the talk about the Trident. They've tried that again and again. It never worked. There were times, particularly during the Vuelta, where they were pulling for reasons that frankly baffled me. I had no idea what they were doing. And it's weird to me when you think back to, you know, Reynolds with... Um, you know, Miguel Indurain moving through to Benesto and just the iron discipline of that team where, you know, they, they were, I mean, they were virtually perfect year after year. They were doing everything that was needed to put Indurain in the situation where he could unleash those massive lungs and heart of his and just pound everybody into the ground. And we've got the same guy in charge, you know, a lot of the same bathroom staff and they just seem to be entirely at odds. So I've, I've, I've genuinely, I've got no idea how they'll develop. And I think sponsors leaving them is, is fair enough. They'll get replaced easily enough. I mean, movie star are a huge team. But there isn't a sense of cohesion, which for me is growing in Jumbo Visma. I think you're right, Derek. I think they showed a real step up in this race, which we've seen in the past from Ineos that was maybe lacking a wee bit this year. You know, there are teams which have a sense that... They know what they're doing. Movie star have talent. That's why they win races. That's why they're consistently the team winners in the team classification because they've got so many talented guys who are up there. What they seem to have lost is the knack of using that talent purely at the service of one person to put them in the top step of the podium. And I, I get no sense they're going to turn that around. I agree, John, because I think, right, fair enough, if they've, they've migrated their... They're 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 riders away, and they've gotten rid of them, and they're they're some problem. But at the same time, when decisions are made on the road, it's normally the DS. It's normally, or even before the decisions are made on the road, they go out with a plan for the day. They go out for a plan for the stage. They go out for a plan for GC, and that is the DS, the coaches, and all that sort of stuff. And if they're making those mistakes and those calls and getting them so badly wrong, um, I think that that culture and that whole structure needs reinventing changing now look that may change with different riders because they come in and whatever else uh, but i do think that they probably need to um look at changing around ds's and changing around coaches and doing something strange like that and i think valverde needs to retire yeah i know i we said that in the last one um yeah. and i think you know look it goes back to one of the discussions we had in the part one and it, it proved very very uh, wise out of the three of us was uh, the Fat Elvis analogy for Sagan and what was he going to do and not only had the podcast I'd say the podcast wasn't even a couple of hours old and they announced that his coach was leaving Bora and moving to Movie Star um, so you know look I do think that two things like that, environments like that, need a shake-up and they need change. And I, I do think if the communication is coming down from the directors, the coaches and stuff like that, that they've got that badly wrong before. And look, fair enough, if you say I'm on form and I want to ride for this stage and I want to ride for GC, okay, we'll give you that leeway. But we execute the plan and we go for that plan. But every day they seem to go for a different rider, different thing, different item, and it just none of it made any coherent sense. And it just seemed like uh, really chaos in comparison to, say, Orica, who have lost their 
their Grand Tour con- contenders or their Grand Tour pretensions a cup in a couple of Grand Tours this season, and they were able to flip it around and they were able to go for stages quite easily and successfully. Movie star, you just never knew what they were up to, did you? No, I mean, movie star, just when John was talking there about how they have all the individual elements within, you know, there are riders who are able to ride high up in stages. But I'm kind of reminded of that very old joke with uh, Eric Morecambe when uh, Andre Previn was was on the Morecambe and Wise show, where he's <laughs> where Andre Previn says to him, "What you what you're doing is all wrong," and, and Eric Morecambe replies, "No, no, no, I was playing all the right notes, just not necessarily in the right order." That's yeah. <laughs> movie star in a nutshell for me. Uh, one of the, one of the things you were saying there, Derek, was about the 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 Vuelta being a, a tour for for young riders we really saw a lot of young riders coming through and I guess it's a theme throughout the the entire year and in sticking in Spain I think we should maybe just touch briefly on the Classica de San Sebastian because 19 year old Remco Ivanapol taking a phenomenal win in that yeah unbelievable and his first edition, and remember, there was another young rider who did San Sebastian and the first time he finished flat last, and he went on to be he who he must never ever name. Um, that's actually, um, see, that's instantly I'm going, people are going to construe that as a dick against Ivanapol. It isn't. It's a measure of Remco's talent. We saw in the juniors that he was looking like he was riding a different race often. Do you remember that one where he crashed and then he punctured and then he crashed again or something and they just kept coming through the field and, and winning? And what we saw was a rider mature above his years. It was it was a performance which laid its mark down, you know, in a team with so many strong players who can win single-day races and a team that's prepared to put their all behind the strongest or cleverest rider in the day, uh, Remco Ivanapol staked his claim. That was a wonderful win in a race that I absolutely adore. I love that race. Um, and he won it in very, very fine style as well. You know, it was aggressive. He made the race and he made, you know, the, the break that got him the victory. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching a lot of young riders in the years to come. A lot of them, and we've talked about some of them already, you know, Egan Bernal, uh, Tashish Pozhikar, all of those guys. Remco Ivanapol's up there in that list of guys that I'm expecting to see do great things in the coming years. Just while we're discussing young guys and everything else, um, and it's kind of a little bit out of left field, I know Ineos recently signed Ethan Hather. Um, another Hater's going to hate. Yeah, no, no, look... <laughs> I, I have I have no objections to any rider, young or old, signing for Ineos because at the end of the day, they are the biggest budget team, and it's if you don't want if you don't want to get if you don't want to ride for that team, fair enough ethics all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, they are the biggest budget. They will have the best bikes. They will have the best wheels. They will have the best everything. They can afford it. They can do it that that way. They can afford to do it the right way. I have no qualms about someone signing for that team in that respect. And I can understand it wholeheartedly why someone might do that and would do that. But the point I was going to come to is the slow gestation of Tom Piddock. Um, he's been mincing around Team Wiggins, now Team Trinity, doing a bit of cyclocross. He bought himself out of a contract with Sven Nice two years ago now at this stage so he could ride him however he wants talks of him riding as a stage year 
next year, maybe this year, uh, oh, sorry, twenty uh, in 2020, and then maybe going World Tour in 2021, is, uh, after seeing Vanapol and the two juniors that won for America at the Worlds signing up to um, Quick Step and stuff like that, uh, seeing Hater come up, uh, what's I, I, what's your thoughts on Piddock's slow gestation to the World Tour? Uh, Tom Pick is a real talent. I mean, we've seen some strong performances from him in, well, cyclocross, of course, but also in road races and time trials. Um, I think he's got a, a business head screwed in his body. I mean, talks of the deals that he's trying to force for, you know, the small teams that he's riding show that he's he's not scared of chasing the money in a Sean Kelly-esque fashion. Um, and I think he's just looking out for the best deal for him. And and maybe that is wait and see what's happening. The problem is, two or three years ago, we were talking about him at the forefront of this youth drive that's coming forward. You know, the riders that we were talking about just seconds ago. And now he's almost been swamped by a whole bunch of other talent that's just as precocious. And maybe his market value isn't what it was. I'm really interested to see what he does. There's no denying his talent. You know, he's, he's arguably the strongest young rider to come out of Britain in a very, very long time. But he's no longer a unique offering when you look at guys like Remco and, you know, even slightly older guys like Egan. Um, so it, it's an interesting thing. I... A couple of years ago, I was sure we'd be seeing him at the very front of the biggest races within four or five years. Now, I'm not so sure. It's a pivotal time for him. It'll be interesting to see what he chooses to do. And and he has said, I remember reading an article recently where he has talked about his his disappointment, uh, even just in, in the cyclocross realm, that he's, he's not been doing as well as, as he feels that, that he, he should be. So... I mean, it may just be that the 2019 has, hasn't has exactly been his year. And as John mentions, there's there's other riders coming through who are kind of eclipsing what is a, a huge, huge talent. Mm. Um, I haven't heard, have, have you guys heard about what he's going to do now that the Wiggins is coming to, to an end? Has, has he got another yeah. contract lined up? Yeah, and, yeah, the Trinity team is going to ride on the road. I think they're going to have a selection of about eight riders. Um, All right. And I think they they're not going to be UCI registered team, but I think they'll um, they can get pick, they can ride with most all everything that they want. I think the baby Giro's on the the, the cards this year as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could still break through and be the rider we expected him to be. It's just that it feels like there's he's maybe a wee bit astray with some huge young talents already bursting onto the world scene. But he could just be sensible, know his own body, and wait until he's ready to take these races on. No, very, 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 very true, John. And I suppose it's one of the things that I, I I'm, I, I'm a bit kind of quizzical about Evanapol. Is just how a 19 year old has adapted so quickly and so um, fast to riding um, senior, or what they, what would have been called senior gears. You know, um, when you're riding under 18, junior, under 19, you would have been on restricted gears, and I would have expected him to struggle. A bit this year, I would have expected him to have issues with maybe cranks, maybe adapt adapting to bigger gears and maybe dropping his cadence and stuff like that and struggling for a year. But he's just come out of the blocks like a freight train. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from there. It's interesting. I mean, I've been chatting about the women. I, I think it was you and I chatting about it, actually, as uh, Scott was. If you look at the the junior women, like Ellie Backstead, 
they're racing on restricted gears, but I think quite often they're training on you know full sets of sprockets. Um, so you know, there's not the jumping strength where you would train on on just your sixteen forty two or whatever, you know. Um, so I I think specificity of training is is definitely something where these younger guys aren't just coming to form by riding loads and loads of miles and getting stronger and stronger. They're actually training specifically for their goals. I think that helps them. Whether that gives them the longevity that a more traditional rider like maybe Gilles Bear has is a question that will get answered over the next 10 years. You know, are they going to burn out too fast because they've tried too early? I think it's a real possibility, but uh, I would hope that the training's sensible enough that they won't. Now, before we, we go on to the, the, the final monument of the year, Il Lombardia, I just want to make a quick mention of those three races which lead into it. And, and I know that John and I spoke about how much we really, really enjoyed them this year. The, of course, the, the Trevalli, Varancini, uh, Milan, Torino and Grand Piemonte, absolutely superb races, every single one of them. Yeah, almost better than Lombardia, actually. And I'm glad you got the names out, Scott, because I would never have got any of those out. (laughs) I never said I got them out right, but I got them out. No, no, no. well done, well done. And I suppose, um, you know, seeing Mike Woods win and stuff like that, um, it really kind of set us up for a bit of a mouth-watering Lombardy. Woods just riding away from Valverde is one of the moments of the year. Yeah. Um, Stunning. Yeah, no, it is. It's probably one of those moments that, yeah, you'd, you'll treasure forever more. But it's, it almost feels like a week where it almost feels like an Italian Flanders week mm. or Holy Week. It feels like, you know, something really special. I think it's, you know, we talk about the World Tour, we talk about the Tour of China and all this sort of stuff. And I think that little week there and those block of races really could do with some better coverage really could do with a Tour of Flanders style organiser looking after it and promoting it a bit more. And I think it may do a bit more for Italian cycling than um, any of the other races because the Giro is so big, it just it's a little bit unwieldy and you don't get the fights that you get in these little three, three races coming into Lombardy. And you, I think th- th- there's a whole heap of potential there in, in those few races. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. No, and it's the fact that everybody knows in, in the peloton that it is so close to Lombardy and it is largely a, a lot of the same roads that is attracting the guys who are going to be challenging for for in Lombardia itself. So you're absolutely right, Derek. It really does need, I mean, I hate to, to drag it down to this kind of level, but a, a decent amount of good marketing to, to make it that kind of, Italian Holy Week lead up to the the Flanders in, of, of Italy uh, in Il Lombardia would attract a whole lot more of the fans' attention. They're not world tour level races. They're at, you know, 1.8C. But that doesn't matter. You know, the racing is the racing and, and it's cracking to watch and some beautiful roads as well. Yeah, and it's building already. I mean, the television coverage is such that there's more awareness than there was even when we were trying to talk about them five years ago. Mm. You know, you can watch the races, you can watch the week develop. All it takes, as you say, is somebody like Flanders Classics, you know, to to just get a handle on it, promote the thing as a block, get some big sponsors on board, um, and it could really break through as as a, a Flanders week for the for the autumn. 
if you like. And then you go to Lombardia, where Bauke Mollema took a, a hugely popular win. We'd seen him be away in San Sebastian in the past, but that, that win by Mollema was just magnificent. And for me, actually, one of the highlights of the later part of the year was seeing the guys who'd been contesting the Grand Tours up there as well. Not just Alejandro Valverde, but Egan Bernal up in third. You know, that's a really good sign for me that we're moving away from that almost toxic specialisation towards the biggest riders riding a wider variety of races than we've become used to in the past few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just need to look through the top 20 to to see how many Grand Tour riders there there are. And and it's not only that, you're, you're mixing it. I mean, look, Jakob Fuglsang, for example, so good earlier in, in the spring, was also competing well in, in the Vuelta. Um, Primoz Roglic, of course, winner of the, the Vuelta. There's some just So fantastic. he had it at one point. <laughs> exactly that, yeah. Um, Adam Yates in, in 15th. Enric Mass, of course, uh, going to, to Movistar next year in, in 13th. I mean, Lille Lombardia is always a cracking race if... You just watch it for the scenery. It's always great. And and it was, you know, Derek and I, I think, have talked about this quite a lot, about Trek Segafredo's season and how it was, it was arguably saved at the World Championships, even though it wasn't a Trek team. It's going to be a jersey that's worn on Trek next next season. But Baikam Olema's win at Lombardia was another saving point of, of Trek's very, very disappointing 2019. Yeah, and I I think it kind of maybe signals where Trek might go in the next couple of years, one or two years, is instead of bringing Malama as a Grand Tour contender, bring him as a, a mountains classification, bring Chiconi along, try steal, not steal some stages, but take stages uh, and deploy Nibbles in a stage hunter role uh, and look towards the... Ardennes week, the, you know, the Hillier Classics. Exactly, give Mullum some support for Liege, Baston Liege. Yeah, you know, give you know, look at Amstel, a few other bits and pieces like that. Uh, and I think they, they could have a very strong one-day team towards the Hillier Classics if they, they, they focus that way. And I do think they just kind of need to get out of that idea of grand, you know, the, the grand tour contenders and stuff like that. And I think they can go stage hunting and they can be very, very effective at it. We should actually probably talk about Mads Peterson and the Worlds because at that point, Trek had had the season from hell. They'd had nothing. And Mads crossing the line, even though it was in a Danish jersey, um, was really their saving grace of the season. Bauke Mollema was the, you know, the, the cream in the cake. It was fantastic. But the interesting point of that whole race, and the Worlds is one of those slightly dull races because it's so long on a circuit, that I tend to like to have on his wallpaper. But I was thrilled by the finale of this Worlds in Yorkshire. It was actually a really nice course. And one of the big surprises of the year for me was Matteo Trentin getting out the saddle and his legs just had nothing. You know, he just had nothing left. We'd seen people away, but I would have bet my house on Trentin winning that race. And it, it's interesting that even these riders that we know their form, we know their history so well, are capable on any given day of just being human and just not having it. Yeah, and I, I think earlier on in the year, uh, Scott my, and myself both picked uh, Trenton for our Grand Tour team. You know, if we were, if we were picking a Grand Tour team, that he is the Swiss Army knife of everything he can sprint he can gallop from a small bunch he can get into a break he can be your 
Tim DeClerc, he can ride down brakes for you. And like you said, John, you know, when it came down to that, yeah, you probably would have put your house on it and probably maybe put a small few bob on Pedersen or, you know, you would have split something. But yeah, mm-hmm. he was he was away and uh, your, your big favourite. But it, I suppose we, we discussed this earlier as well. The Worlds and Milan San Remo are kind of the only two trollbacks to that real old school era of the, the, the 300k race or whatever else. And it's just... It, it just takes so so much out of the body, and you know they've often spoken about how the body reacts in that 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 last hour of a race like that, and it's different for everyone, and you have to be there and you have to experience it, and it's going to be interesting to see now where Pedersen goes from here, whether he kicks on. I know he had a fantastic Flanders, but uh, didn't pull off the win, but he has the capability now. Um, do they have? The background team, I know they lost them all last year at Trek, whether they can pull together a good classic squad. They've lost Degenkopf this year as well. Um, so they, they're lacking a little bit of experience and a little bit of nous there. So whether they can manage him and develop him into a you know, a, a good classics rider or a great classics rider remains to be seen. If Nibble is happy as road captain, he could make a huge difference to Peterson's career going forward. Very good point. You know, I, I mean, if he just takes the young man under his wing, because we've seen even when he hasn't had form, Nibali has been clever enough to be active at the front of all of the single day races that he, he was in up until, you know, his form just couldn't carry him through. If he can give that sensibility and work ethic to Mads Pedersen, I think we could be seeing a, an emergent talent. Or he could just be another one of those one-off world championships that we've talked about so often in, you know, this world, this week in cycling history over the years. It's, it's an interesting watch. Shall we tackle the the questions that the listener has, has sent, so kindly well, sent in? Well, b- before we tackle the question for the listener, I would say I'm acutely aware that we haven't been talking about women in this. I'm trying to chase down the, the beloved Sarah Connolly to talk about the women's season uh, because that's been an absolutely, as the youth say, a banging season of racing. Uh, for the women as well, there have been some stunning performances and some great racing, and they deserve more than a footnote in you know three people with testicles talking about cycling. They deserve a show of their own. Well, I, I can only uh, you know uh, back that up by a, a similarly sentimented in it, bruv. <laughs> on that on that note, that you've bro- you've both broke your hips now. You've been trying so hard. But, <laughs> hey, that's a bit harsh. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. The um the two questions from the two listeners, Scott. There is two listeners. <laughs> so it's double what it was last week. I um, look at the stats. The farmcast actually doing all right. You should, uh, you should be proud, mate. Right. So the the first one um, from some chap called Vincent Bennett. Not sure where he's from, who he's related to. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Uncle Sam uh, I, I, I love Vinny actually he's very yeah, funny on Twitter he's a good lad uh, the the collapse of Team Sunweb um, I take it we're it, talking about Tony Bennett here the, the singer yeah? yes yes, okay, yes obviously yes yes the collapse of Team Sunweb so uh, big Tam out the door and there's been a big clear out of staff there and I suppose even if we go back a few years we look at uh, Marcel Cattell when he was there Um and he wasn't happy when he kind of became the big star. And I was, I know myself and John and talk about it at the time that I, I thought if he was never going to be happy, if he wasn't happy there in a team that was built for him, around him and set up for him, he was never going to be happy anywhere. But maybe it may have not been him and it may have actually been the team. Um, what are your own thoughts, Scott? 
Well, I've kind of heard some reports from quite some time that, that Tom de Milan kind of changed a bit. And, and I, I guess it's understandable after he won the, the Giro and got so much attention back home that he was going to be a different guy. He became a celebrity uh, and the team was essentially focused solely on Tom de Milan winning tour after tour after tour. That's the way that they saw it going. And maybe, I, I don't know whether latterly Cattell kind of felt that Tom de Milan starting to, to come to the fore was, was what made him unhappy. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that angle of it. But as I say, just from, from talking to, to some people, that, that Tom himself became a bit aloof and started to, to drink his own Kool-Aid, as, as it were, and wasn't happy over the fact that there was a lot of riders leaving during the, the, the off-season, what would that have been last year? Mm-hmm. Uh, and nothing was done really to to replace them. And I think from, from that point on, Tom felt he wasn't happy with the team, whereas the team itself were still very much looking to Tom de Milan as their future. And I, I think if there is a criticism there, it's possibly the, the Iwan uh, Speckenbrink, who's the, the general manager, probably to put too much faith in in the one rider and expected that one rider to to carry the team going forward um so i'm i'm not placing too much blame on on either party i can t- i can totally see where where both are, are kind of coming from i mean you only just need to look at there was a a, a recent article in cycling news last month where where Ewan was talking about how there's life in the team after Tom de Milan. I think if you have to make comments like that to the press, it's because everybody expects or has come to expect that the team has been built around one person. And that's a very, very difficult place to find yourself in. The reason you come out with a statement like that is someone's been sending you mass cards and there's been a few reeds dropped at the door because the team (laughs) probably is (laughs) circling the drain. John, what's your own thoughts on it? See, I think it's much simpler. I think it's um, it's a supernatural thing. Uh, because I think as soon as they came up with that advertising thing with those terrifying fucking things with no uh, no mouths and black eyes, it sucked the souls from all the riders. Or was this and a they were simply media unable thing? to yeah, they were simply yeah. unable to pedal because their souls now resided in a small gift that was stored somewhere in a server in hell. Well, yeah. it's as good an explanation as any. I'll give you that. Have you seen them? I mean, seriously. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, happy birthday to this corpse with a cake. <laughs> well, look, we've just mentioned flowers and all that sort of stuff. Okay, let's 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 move on. To Actually, the- uh, before we move on, we have yeah. to say really classy tweet and social media presence from Sunweb wishing Tom all the best at his new team. You know, yeah. the, it was just completely genuine, put out there with no... No floweriness, no expectation. It was just a, and even if it was fake, it came across as a heartfelt wish that he was happy where he went. Uh, and that actually, I I have spent a lot of time this year slagging off Team Sunweb's social media platform performances. That was one that just made me smile and just go, yeah, that's classy. And I think so one final... maybe they can move on. I hope they can. But well, yeah, I mean, one, one thing I was going to say just before we, we do move on, Ewan Speckenbrink is he's a young guy, he's only in his early 40s, 
I th- and he's a he's a good guy as well. I I think yeah. he will be able to to rebuild that that team. It might take a couple of years, but I don't think we've seen the last of of Sunweb, and I, and I look forward to seeing what they do next. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they develop over the next year. I'll throw this one out to you two first. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Israel Cycling Academy stepping up and the merger with Katusha. I'm not sure whether it can be technically classed as a rise um, because they just bought their way up into World Tour. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how they mix those two together. But your own thoughts, John? Yeah, the big signing for me is Niels Pollock. Um, he's been one of the few lights in, in what was a very dark year for Katusha. Um, you know, all of that money, they've consistently underperformed, but we've seen Niels at the sharp end of Aces time and time again. That's simply and, because his teeth can be seen from space. Well, there is that. But, you know, he, he's been where he needed to be, to be a credible classics contender. And the riders they've got behind, when you look at them on their own, and... and you know, Israel Cycling Academy, then you kind of think that's a strong team, but there's no one standout rider. You know, there's a load of guys there who'll be really good Gregarios who can support somebody, but none of them are really capable of demanding that support. Niels Pollitt, I think, is, and he's the big the big rider for them. And I think if they are going to have a breakthrough, it will be on, you know, in the back of a ride from Pollitt. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I, no disrespect to Ilna Zakarin. I don't think he was ever really going to be at the sharp end of Grand Tours. I think his presence on the team kind of pulled them in a Grand Tour direction and, and perhaps now looking to, to Paula as being their central focus, as, as John's anticipating, will be really good for them because it will take them away from that kind of semi-Grand Tour focus, not really knowing what to do with guys like Nathan Haas, who we've saw come really good over the past few years, but just hasn't been able to take that that big win that I think we, we know he's capable of doing. Imagine um, a duo and Nathan totally on form and Niels Pollitt. Yeah. That's a formidable duo in a Tour of Flanders or something. Yeah. It would be, it would be except for he signed for Cofidis, gentlemen. Yeah, oh, but so what, yeah, but what uh, what John's saying is, if you had the two of them, yeah, you know, yeah. riding well and and forgetting about the Grand Tour ambitions, that in Flanders would have made it uh, Katusha team to to watch. Yeah. What, no, I, I, I don't no, know. I wasn't. I just forgot he went to Cofidis. <laughs> trying to, defi- to defend me, Scott. <laughs> it's a valiant effort. <laughs> Look, let's 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 move on from that, just because I I I, I it's one of those completely unknowns. Pollock could I I do see him being. Uh, a joker in the pack come classic season. I can see him probably taking a semi-classic somewhere along the way, but it's it's, it's going to be a, a strange one and see how they develop because I do think there's a couple of cultures mashing together there and I'm not sure have they got the the quality there that they need. Um, they've got a big budget for sure um, and sometimes that brings its own responsibilities and doesn't necessarily demand success or guarantee you success. So we'll be interested to see where they go from there. Um, I'm going to go to you first, John, for the following. I think the Labour Party will be one of the sponsors. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, John, your, 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 your race of the season. Uh, oh, what a stupid <laughs> question is. <laughs> Come on. It's clearly, it, it's clearly the People's Open 10. <laughs> of course. That's no, it's, uh, it, it's the Amstel Gold Race. Um, I... I Stand by the fact I have never seen a finish like that in 
kicking on for 45 years of watching cycling. Just absolutely stunning. Um, and I think I mentioned last week when we were talking about the Spring Classics, the added poignancy of Raymond Poulidor getting to see his grandson win that race in that fashion really added to it for me. But just magnificent. Um, it's a race I love. I've been to see it many times, and although I lament it not finishing in the Cowberg anymore, I think the new finishes have really added to the race. Both both editions since they changed the finish have been great, but that was just absolutely magnificent. So yeah, I'm still gold race. Scott, your race of the season? I I kind of have to agree. I mean, I'd only be picking something else for the sake of picking something else. Um, it has been such a I mean, you think back about the season and, and yeah, there are some great races. We talked about the Tour and maybe a wee bit kind of of a damp squib towards the the end after stage 19. But in, in terms of just sheer excitement and cheering, you know, standing up and applauding at the end of it, I don't think anything came near to, to the Amstel Gold. And it all came down to just that, that performance. It was extraordinary and the best possible use of the word all right to be the the odd one in the pack i'm going to go for roubaix just because gilbert just because i uh, he's he's getting so close he's getting so close to winning those five monuments uh just the way he won that day um totally just, in control yeah um and just rode didn't make a mistake rode everyone off his wheel um, was fantastic and I just think just showed the pure class of the man um, and still at that age and still being able to do that and still so classy and you know even back that up later on in the year at the Vuelta with the way he looked after James Knox I think that was probably I'm, I'm picking it because it's Gilbert more so than Roubaix but I think Gilbert's riding Roubaix was one of the ones that'll probably it, it'll stand the test of time uh, it was just a classy classy ride from him Tell you what that's a race Niels Pollock could win yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second this year could very well kick on. Yeah. Um, Scott, your Grand Tour of the season. Well, I think when we discuss the the Grand Tours, we had a slight difference of of opinion, and I I'm still going with the the Tour being the the Grand Tour of of the season. And I think I, I remember when we talked about it, it went in, in the following order, Tour, Vuelta and the Giro being in third yep. place, which is so against the the grain of, of, of recent editions where I think over the past, say, 10 years really, the, the Giro d'Italia has been the hipster's race, you know, the one that everybody appreciates and, it, and it, it tends to feature the best racing, but certainly not this year. The Tour, despite the ending, was just so exciting. Um, it's a close run thing, I think, between the Vuelta and, and the Tour, but given that, that the, the, just the, the sheer drama of it all, not just in Julian Atlafilippe, but, but Thibaut Pino, who we've, we've hardly mentioned as well, coming so close and it being so cruelly taken away from him by that that knee injury it, it just had had everything uh, it was it was a brilliant addition to to watch john uh i'd flip the first two and agree the giro was the worst of the three um i think the vuelta was an absolutely stunning race this year marked even more than the tour by the the emergence of the young riders who are going to thrill us for the next decade 
Um, but it is a close run thing because I don't think in 10 years of doing this, Scott and I have had days, day after day, where we've just sat down and not even had to think about it. You know, 30 minutes of show just came straight out yeah, because yeah. The, the race made itself, you know, it was a joy to talk about. But the welter for me with the, the focus on young riders that will will enjoy in years to come just shaded it the Giro I enjoyed it but the other two were absolutely stunning this year yeah I think I suppose the debate myself and Scott had when we recorded the Grand Tour shows was I felt that the Giro had a better overall fight uh, across all the jerseys this year whereas the Tour had a very huge fight for yellow but Points wasn't really great. Mountains jersey wasn't really great. White jersey kind of, you know, there wasn't yeah. the the depth wasn't there. And I I do think it's it's very subjective one. So I think I I probably agree, agree with Scott. Tour, Vuelta, Giro, just because of the the class of riders that won stages. Um, but I, th- I and think let's not take anything away from Carapaz. You know, the first Ecuadorian win was brilliant, no. and we saw his strength when he won that stage. And Caleb Ewan was chasing him down, and Carapaz had the strength to hold Ewan off. It's just the other two were were really a, absolutely stunning additions of the race. Yeah, no, I I think so. So we're on to our rider of the year, John. You want to take that one, Julian Alaphilippe. You know, stunning in the spring. His tour performance was. I do think I've seen French subscribers and folk from France I've talked to be so excited since, you know, well, since Tricky Dicky or even before that, you know, Veronk. Um, and Alaphilippe's performance in the tour had even me believing he could do it right up until four or five days before the finish where he started to look weak. He was just magnificent. Yeah, that to his one-day performances... It would be easy for me to choose one of the cyclocross guys, you know, Wout van Aert or Mathieu van der Poel. They've had absolutely stunning breakthrough years. Uh, Bernal, I think, is a talent of the ages that we'll see go forward. But Julien Alaphilippe had the kind of year that, you know, 100 years from now, cycling historians will be talking about 2019 and Julien Alaphilippe. Scott, do you want yeah, to pick anyone else? No, just just the same. I mean, and, and John even mentioned guys who I, I think would be in any way close to to Alaphilippe and, and Mathieu van der Poel. I mean, maybe you could throw in Bernal for being so young and, and winning the Tour, which is a huge feat. I mean, you got to remember the, the pressure that, that comes with even riding the Tour, never mind finding yourself in the position to win it. Um, and in terms of other guys, Tajus Pojikar, who we've talked about, Primoz Roglic as well has had a phenomenal mm. season from, from start to finish. And Really, he could have vied with Alaphilippe had it not been for the mistakes that you alluded to in the Giro, uh, Derek. So those are all my guys that I'd kind of throw in, maybe a a few more, but definitely Julian Alaphilippe. Yeah, I think Lulu takes it for me as well. I think for all the reasons you've already mentioned, uh, you know, from Strada Bianchi, Milan, early on the season, um, you know, it's it's hard to figure out that a Grand Tour contender won Milan San Remo this year. Um, you know, I I think he's been class apart. Um will where he pivots to from there now is gonna be very interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I hope he stays in single day and does his best in Grand Tours because he's a he is a single day talent of the ages. You know, he's he's one of those guys who like Gilbert, you could easily see him taking all five 
if he applied himself to different, you know, yeah. different skill sets in different years. He's he's, yeah. the, he's the entire package. Yeah, and for for the fight, the taking the five monuments, he's already taken the hardest one for someone who can take Liege or something like that. He's taken Milan yeah. San Remo, which is totally. the the sprinters one, so he, he can always evolve. Um, Scott, I'm going to come to you first for your ride of the season. So I'm I'm going to guess <laughs> Van der Van der Poel at Amstel. Well, yeah, it has to be, but maybe go with Julian Alaphilippe for what was an unexpected ride across two weeks, really, in in, in the tour. I, I think that was, for me, just for, for all the high drama and, and the the rise of expectation behind behind France, possibly the ride of of the season over a protracted period of time but i mean it just um again i'm 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 filling for the fact that the obvious one is is van der Poel i'm still john yeah go and guess um <laughs> well look some, one of the three one of the three of us has to go for van der Poel and i'm still and i'm just hoping it's going to be you because <laughs> actually i've got i've got two two rides this year which had me standing on my feet cheering actually cheering at the video feed and one of course was Matthew van der Poel at the Amstel Gold um, and you know that that's that's my ride of the year but the other one is Julian Alaphilippe in the time trial at the Tour you know he was the little engine that could, he was expected to lose time to the likes of Geraint Thomas instead he put time into them he rode a beautifully controlled time trial and the explosive finish that he produced just to nail home his superiority in that race for an old fat tester like me was just a delight to watch. But come on, you know, that, that was the last 10k of Amstel were stunning. The last kilometre was breathtaking and his collapse after the line and being on the podium with his granddad just... Box office. You know, stuff yeah. a legend. Okay, so I'm going to go for two hipster, real hip, hipster alternative ones. My first one is uh, Sam. Sam's year as a whole, his, his rides from the start of the year until the end of the year across the Vuelta, when his head was melted, and just that stage 17 just encapsulated Sam for me for this year. Um, literally, the first 50 riders or 49 riders that were lined up on the stage clipped away it was full full gas for the first two hours never shirked a turn never missed it, never dropped anything was the only bore right there against seven quick steps and still he got bet he was finished second he never threw the head he never did anything and you know got on with it and i just i think he's emerges as one of the classiest riders uh, this season and I just hope next season he kicks on and goes up goes up another level and if he does I think he's going to be a superstar uh, I know he's world class now but I think he, he will be a superstar and John knows how long I've been trumpeting Scott, uh, Sam since I, I know him since he's been underage um, yeah he, I'm, I'm sitting to point you're going to tell me he was in Jeffrey Epstein's book next <laughs> oh John 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 oh man Fuck's sake. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's my first I mean, word. Hey, hey, I was told I'm to get... I'm sitting here rolling my eyes, mate. You have been telling me about him since he was underage. It's just that word's got some unpleasant connotations at the moment. <laughs> I was told to get a taxi for using winningest, and, and he gets away with that. <laughs> Jesus in Christ. See yourself out. And my second second uh, Royal of the Year was Chloe Dygard at the World Championships in that TT. Stunning, yeah. Mm. 
Um, I know there are two hipster choices, but I think uh, Digart definitely deserves to be mentioned. Uh, it was an, an amazing ride. Uh, last one, and it'll probably be a quick one. Your team of the year, John. Uh, I think Jumbo Visma for growth, actually. Um, Great I choice. They've, they've, they've grown into a really credible GC team and show signs of just carrying on growing. Um, I think they've shown they've got the maturity to handle the conflict that they'll have in leadership next year. Uh, so I think it's been a real year of growth for them, and they've, you know, they've they've confirmed everything we expected of them. Scott, I mean, I would have agreed, but for the Giro, if they hadn't monumentally cocked up the Giro in the way mm. that they did, I would say definitely. So, with that in mind, Decon and Quickstep. Um, other, I mean, I, I guess I could mark points off for them for the absolute horror show that they had uh, well in South America over uh, yeah. comments made regarding that that young woman, the, the waitress at, at the restaurant. That was just appalling. But on the road, they have been peerless. Um, race after race after race. They've done what they've done every season for, for the, the you know, a good number of years now. It doesn't matter who is the rider to to take the win as long as one of their riders is is going to do it, and they they just show that time after time, race after race, and coming to to the tour that we've talked about so much with Julian Alain Philippe and having such a phenomenal run just capped it all off I, I thought they were and even then going on to to the Vuelta where they were superb even in that and playing playing a part in a race that they arguably shouldn't have have any right to to be um contesting they were they were superb uh, really really clever riding and great victories and, and great showing in, in any race that they were in yeah i'd ha- i'd have to go with the same myself and i think just a couple of things that stand out for me the way they treated gilbert this year quite obvious that he was leaving um you know the contract negotiations are kind of ended quite early but they still they didn't bench him they didn't dick around with him they didn't send him off to shitty little races and Gilbert's class uh, when riding that Vuelta looking after Knox uh, the way they, they rode as a team um, and just the, the, their their number of victories throughout the season it's just been tremendous and I, I, I can't look past them for a team this season I really don't like uh, I, I really don't like Pat Lefebvre though oh no no I'd, I'd say he he would he would swap you for cattle at any, at any given at any given time yeah. Shake your anyway. hand and then check how many fingers you've got. Yes. Gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. Um John, where oh god, I'm I'm gonna regret asking this question. Where can people find you on the internet? Considering well, your they last... can find me in more places than Scott at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm at Velocast John on Twitter. Uh, we have a Velocast Facebook page that I still don't know what to do with. Um but Velocast John on Twitter is probably the best way. I've got to say that we have some fantastic Christmas merchandise on shop.velocast.cc, including, rather bizarrely, a shower curtain. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> not, he's not kidding. No, no I'm really we not. We, uh, we can do baby grows. We can do whatever you like, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ve- Velocast John on Twitter's the best bet. So, Scott, are you coming back to Twitter, please? No, <laughs> no, it's a incest pit. There's no way I'm going back there. Brilliant. 
Um, and you can find me at Flamcast on Twitter as well. Guys, we'll probably have a couple of shows out over Christmas. There's a few little recordings that I've got uh, back, backed up. Um, I might get them edited and published over the Christmas break um, so to give you something to listen to. Until then, guys, take care. So that was the 2019 season. Did you agree with our picks or have we got it all wrong? Whatever your own thoughts and opinions, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to ours. And we look forward to your virtual company again soon for the next edition of The Velocast.